Welcome to the Susquehanna Valley Baptist Pulpit, preaching a life worth living, abundant life in Christ. And now the message. Titus chapter number 3. Titus chapter number 3. I want to draw our attention to the last portion here. As we've been talking about thriving in a pagan society the last three or four weeks, um, and really overarching in this theme for a month, uh, we're looking about, well, what do you do? If you're in a pagan society that has changed, which I believe we are, where uh, naturalistic philosophy no longer matters, which you can see in nature doesn't matter anymore uh, to the lost man. Uh, there's no reason, uh, no adherence to truth at all. Uh, there's no pursuit of any ethical system. It seems whatever comes can come. Whatever will may come. I mentioned Thursday night, and I'll mention just briefly um, the the piece of legislation that passed both the House and the Senate this past week. You had 11 senators, GOP senators, uh, join in with all Democrats, giving you a, a margin of a, a 61 to 39 or something like say You need 60 votes uh, to get to the point of passing anything without a threat of a filibuster, and it passed. Uh, 11 Republicans joining. Most of them, most of them are retiring. Always be afraid of retiring senators because there's no repercussion. Most of them are retiring. And so there's not going to be any repercussion for them on that guard. And there's 28 GOP congressmen that joined in with all the Democrats in the House and passed the legislation last week, be on the president's desk. He'll probably sign it on Christmas Day or something and make a speech out of it. But it was dealing with the fact of, of uh, recognizing marriage. And really what it did is it redefined what marriage was and put insignificant, anemic, to quote Senator Lee of Utah, the senior senator of Utah, uh, put anemic coverage in there for anyone that, as he said and well said, has held to the well-regarded civilizational viewpoint of marriage between a man and woman that has existed longer than any existing country. And so be that a Muslim, be that a Mormon or a Christian or whatever, anybody that holds to the viewpoint of man and woman, which is a biblical viewpoint, there's anemic protections in there. And as much that some religious organizations can be sued uh, if they were not to recognize the marriage of a man to a man and a woman to a woman. And uh, there's even other, many other things within this thing. But I would note how that has changed the society. Um, they're the same. And that's one of the marks of a pagan society. This week in the news, you had the female basketball player that was rescued. And uh, I was watching a little bit of a clip that someone posted from the RT, it's Russian television news. And um, they're basically laughing at America because we traded a murderer a butcher, a man that was wanted around the world for the trafficking of guns. He, he, he's an angel of death in many regards, and we traded him, uh, and we got out of it um, um, a female basketball player that, uh, as they said, was there not because in service to her country, but because she had to feed her addiction. That's why she got arrested. And you consider things like that. It's, it's even hard for other parts of the world to understand where our culture is heading. And once they understand it, maybe they can explain it to some of us. But a lot part of that is 
our society is rapidly moving under the authority of the God of this world into a society that is absolute pagan. And that brings us to the point, what are we supposed to do as Christians? And we're looking here in Titus chapter 3 and we have four primary points. And then each of them has seven, if you will, stabilizing or expanding points underneath them. So, and we've dealt with each of these in a, in a weekly basis. They'll soon be online. You can take a look at them. Uh, but for instance, one of them is found in verse number one and two, and we're to recognize our position. We have a duty. Uh, we're to recognize what we are supposed to do as of citizens in the country. I think of Jeremiah. They asked of Jeremiah, said, you know, we're going to be carried away into captivity. What are we supposed to do? It's a good question, isn't it? And Jeremiah said, seek the peace of the city. Seek the peace of the city. And though that was Jeremiah to the Israelites that would be going to Babylon, um, I would note that's still our responsibility. Seek the peace of the city. Um, we're to be subject, you see there in verse number one and two, subject to principalities and powers. We're to be obedient to magistrates, ready to every good work. Uh, not slanderous, not speaking evil of any man, not a brawler. This is one that stirs strife, uh, be it by actions or be it by words. And he goes on, he says, you're to be gentle. The idea of gentle, be mild. What is that? 1950 cartoon, that's what I know it as. A mild manner reporter. Do you remember? Anybody remember that phrase? You don't? Tell us, brother. It was Superman, a mild manner reporter named Clark Kent, you know. And um, there's a level of gentleness that we need to expose one to another and into the society in which we live. One of the reasons we can have gentleness is because we know a gentle God. One of the reasons we can have gentleness is because it is the fruit of the Spirit. One of the reasons we can have gentleness is because we know how it's all going to end. And that provides peace. I don't need anxiousness and worry and fret and anger and everything else. And then he brings that final point, verse number seven, showing meekness. And this is that patience coupled with humility to all men. And there's a lot that could be said there, but that's, that's our position. That's our duty that we're to recognize. Then we spent a week dealing with remembering your prior state. And this would carry on from verses 3 and perhaps 4, uh, your prior state, we were sometimes foolish. Had it not been for the knowledge of the Almighty God and for our faith and acceptance in Him, uh, friend, we'd be no different. We would be following the same patterns that others are following. And so it's important to you realize that what has sanctified you is not your own mind. What has sanctified you is not your own decisions. What has sanctified you is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There was a time where we were foolish, disobedient, deceived. There's seven, um, you might want to call it vices, that described our lot before life. And we used even an opportunity to talk, you know, if you were one that was living in a home where there were two Christian, two Bible-believing parents, I almost don't want to call them Christian anymore, I want to call them Bible-believing. And at a young age, you became aware of the gospel of Jesus Christ their salvation had a sanctifying effect on you. Can you imagine what it would be had that not existed? A completely different story. Never forget 
your responsibility to remember your prior state. And then last week we wanted to recognize our peculiarity, the salvation that God provided. And then this is verses 5 and following all the way down to verse number 7 where we're told to be made heirs according to the hope of His eternal life. We have a responsibility to realize our peculiarity, realize the salvation and the work that God has done in our life. And then there are seven virtues that follow in on that particular refrain. And this morning I want to look at the fourth one and we're going to take thought right into verse number 8, the last half of verse number 8, and talk of this, responding to your purpose. What's your mission? What activity do I need to be engaged in? Notice, if you will, in verse 8, this is a faithful saying. I don't have all the references, but you'll find that phrase five times throughout the pastoral epistles. For instance, to Timothy, he said, this is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation that Jesus Christ came in the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He's about to tell you this is something else you can hang your hat on. You can um, balance your heart with. This is something faithful. He says, these things, what are these, the, these things? Now, you could look at these things that are looking at the host of the seven uh, missions that we're to engage in. But if you look, these things is a reference to something very specific. Uh, chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, But speak thou the things that become sound doctrine. He says it again later in that particular chapter. He's talking about these things. He's talking about the influence of sound doctrine in your life. That are That is these things. And he said, so it's these things. It's a faithful saying. These things, the sound doctrine, the truths of the word of God, the hope of salvation, I will that thou confirm or affirm constantly that they which have believed in God that you and I, right? Not necessarily the Cretans. There's liars, there's slow bellies, even as a prophet of their own has declared. Uh, they're evil beasts. But for you and I, because of the doctrine that exists, chapter 2 and verse 1, because of the teaching of the Scriptures, because of who we are in Jesus Christ, this is something that needs to be constantly affirmed in the assembly. It's something every child of God, regardless of how long they've been saved, ought to aspire in their life to engage in. And notice the first of these, verse number 8, that you might be careful to what? See, there's that first mission, maintain good works. Maintain good works. So here's a question for us. What are good works? Now, before you answer, I want you to think. <clears throat> if we're going to answer the question of what good works are, and it's mentioned again down in verse number 14, almost to the same word, maintain good works. <clears throat> Who's going to define what a good work for a child of God is? Society will define it if you let them. I mean, really, society, if you were to ask society what a good work is, they would talk about something that benefits society in a whole. And that, that could be anything from, uh, and these are not inherently wrong, I'm just telling you from society's point of view, it would be to make up a gap in some place that's fallen between in society. Uh, so, you know, a lot of times there's litter on the road. So society could say, well, a good work for a church or a group of people would be if they cleaned up the roads. Now, let, let's, amen. 
anybody can clean up the roads, but is that what sound doctrine is for? I don't think so. You say, well, to take care of all the poor and needy people. Is that what God gave sound doctrine for? Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that's not important or a Christian should never even consider that. I'm rather saying, is that what he's talking about? Because he's not going to describe them fully, so that means you've got to go. He's making an implication. He's not giving you an announcement of every detail. So you're going to have to cross-reference with other places in the Scriptures to find out what these good works are. Or else every man's going to decide what's right, and society will. Society says, well, a good work could be policing glitter in the road. A good work work might be um, uh, helping the down-and-outers in life. And certainly there's a place to help folks. But is that what he's talking about? Is that what you need sound doctrine for? No. I don't think that's the main emphasis. So with that in mind, and there's a host of other ones that you can consider, what does he mean by maintaining good works? Note the next phrase, really sentence. These are good and profitable unto what? Okay, so this good work, it has to be something that is good as opposed to evil. And it has to be something that is profitable And by essence of men, he's not just talking about that it's good for men over women. And he's not talking about men that it's good for um, the distinction of other men in the church. So he's saying it's something good and profitable unto, and the emphasis of men is all men. Specifically, if godly men and women are to engage in them and they are profitable to men... That means, really, the distinction could be saved there to maintain good works. Believers are to maintain good works because of the profitability that it gives to unsaved individuals. Now, what is the most profitable thing that an unsaved individual will need? The gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the most profitable thing. That is not to say that there's absolutely no profit in feeding the hungry. That's not the case. There can be profit in that. That's not to say that there's no profit in having a testimony of a clean street. But is that most profitable in the sense of eternal life? What is it that's going to turn around a pagan culture to worshiping the God of heaven? Will clean streets do it? The survey says... Will full bellies do it? Will thick wallets do it? Now, what's going to do it? So when you think of this, let's answer our question, what are some good works by which Christians ought to engage? Keep in mind, I want to I insert one other thing. Just as you're thinking, I want to add another cog to your gear. There's no distinction here in verse number 8. Look at it. He said, that they which have believed in God. Who is that? Well, they're about to do something, so I have to qualify that say they're living people. They that believed in God, though, beside being living, it's something that most every child of God, you might even go beyond that and say every living child of God can engage in. And I, I've got a list of about, uh, what is it, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. But if I just give them to you, then I did all the work. So I thought I would share some time with you this morning. So really, there's a number of things throughout scriptures which every child of God. So that that means it's something that 
a little old tyke of a Christian, I mean, just newly saved, doesn't know a whole lot, can do. An old senior saint can do in God. Someone that just got saved that is in the middle years. Someone that's been saved a long time. So really, these things are not directly focused on the physical. Because there are things that a young person, age-wise in the Lord, cannot do that an older person can do. And there are things that an older person in the Lord cannot physically do that someone with better health can. So as you think of all this, it's something that every Christian can do regardless of physical limitations, regardless of, of their well-being. It's something that they are alive, so it's something every Christian ought to do. So what are some of these good works that we should maintain? Yes, sir. I think prayer's an important one of them, actually. Yeah, okay, yeah, I have that one down. But I didn't, you gave a very general answer. Um, I put down in my notes, prayer for the lost. I know how often that's just gone astray. I read an article the other day and it talked about, is it even right that Christians pray for the lost? Yes, I read the article. Because anytime somebody says, convince me I'm wrong. But why would you not? Unless you believe that God's already sorted out every decision man's going to make. No, we pray for the lost. There's biblical evidence in praying for the lost. And I think the prayer for the lost that we would pray isn't simply God pray that they'll get saved. That's almost Calvinistic tendency, pray that you'll make the choice for them. I think you pray for the lost, you you could talk about specificity. Lord, change their circumstances of life. Lord, bring something in their life that they find the end of themselves. That, That might be something that just is, in one sense, a very difficult thing for them to go through. It might be something like a job loss. It might be something more traumatic. Lord, bring them to the point where they'll consider and you pray for the lost, by essence of praying for the lost, you're praying, pray that somebody will go by them, near them, and give them a clear presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are people that I can pray for that I'll never meet. By the way, that is biblical as well. Colossians chapter 1, Paul lists, I love it. He lists, I was just reading it this morning again. He's praying for people he never met. There's not, he couldn't go to Colossae. He didn't plant the work. He encouraged the man that is likely the pastor there, Epaphras. But as far as that, he's praying for them. You know, prayer is a good work that every child of God can engage in. And you, you can't sleep at night. Guess what you can do? So, some would say prayer is a great remedy for insomnia. Now, it shouldn't be that way. We should always be given to prayer, but you'll understand my point. I pray for them. I'm commanded to pray without ceasing. That is a great work and one which must be, what's our word here? Maintained. If you don't make intentional times of prayer, I'm afraid too often if we don't do that, then we won't really pray too much. I had a pastor once. It was my pastor and he he used to say this, that one of the reasons we have prayer services is so that we make sure that every child of God that comes to church prays at least once a week. Now that was offensive to me. 
but he lived in a generation that cared less about how you felt than what was actually said. And the truth is, there's a good point there. Sometimes if we didn't make prayer a, a, a specific part of a worship service, people would be less inclined to engage in it. So prayer is certainly a work that is good and profitable to all men. What's another one? Yes, sir. I think witnessing is absolutely one of them. We touched on it just a little bit by prayer, but the opportunity of being able to give the gospel to someone is important. I mean, let me say something there to that point. You know, as a young man, and I mean seven, eight years old, I was going on door-to-door visitation. Uh, almost my early memories is what I was doing. Dad would take me, I'd be five, six years old. I remember I nearly got my hand broke. I got my fingers bit by a dog and all this kind of stuff. Cause, but we would go and I'd, I'd watch, man, we'd knock on the door. And almost always, unless there was something, you get invited in. Almost all the time, unless some extreme thing where individuals were busy walking out, you can engage someone for 20, 30, 45 minutes on their front stoop. But then there was a dynamic shift. The same person going out. Doing it in a very similar manner. Been doing it all my life. And you know what? You don't even get people to come to the door now. They just have that little doorbell that says, hello? Not interested. Can I leave a flyer? No. I think, here's what I'm driving at. One of the most important, effective things in witnessing is a relationship. And that's especially true in our society that has very little respect for virtuous things of scriptures. It doesn't mean anything anymore. To be a preacher, to be a person that cares about the things of God or be for means so very little to a growing segment of our society. But there are some things that mean a lot to them. And that opportunity to be able, maybe God's given you to rub shoulders with someone. They're able to watch your life, to engage upon them, to speak to them at every opportunity. That is a very viable means. I'll put a plug in here for our core. It's one of the things I like about it. We'll knock so many doors and they're not home, not interested, not interested, not interested. And we'll get a handful of folks and they want somebody to come down and sit down. And we've had the opportunity to go back and talk to them 10, 15, 20 minutes. What are you doing? You're building a relationship. Follow up and invite them to services, not unlike Cantata. I find it to be a very good and wholesome thing. Far better than cold calling and them even failing to open the door. It's superior. But in any case... Yes, witnessing is a good work. And the scripture says it must needs be maintained. What's another one? Yes, ma'am. You need a microphone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think of the psalmist in the 119th Psalm. Uh, I think of 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, Desiring the sincere milk of the word that you may... I might would even say beyond reading the Bible, a love for the Bible. You see the distinction? A love for it. After all, 
there's so many descriptions we could use about the Word of God. But that is one David used. He said, I love thy law. Just a love for the Scriptures. Um, I've not always been this way. But I enjoy good preaching of the Word of God. How much? Enough that if you've ever worked with me on a job site, I'll wear you out. I don't mean to wear you out, but I love to be preached to. Um, This vehicle I've got, it's got a wonderful thing. It's got a USB port in it, and you can plug your little jump drive in there, and uh, it can hold like hours. And I have an audio book that just comes on every other time. I have to skip through this thing. Um, I'll quote it to you if you want. I maybe have about 10 CDs on there, but I probably have about 20 hours of messages. Play, play, play. Why? The preaching of the Word of God is one of God's wonderful gifts that He's given, and I love the Word of God. So just beyond the reading, and that's certainly true, to have, to cultivate a love for the Word. And you know, that's something you can do if you're two years old, well, if you're five years old or what have you, all the way up to if you're 105, you can love the Word of God. You may not be able to read it like you once used to. Your eyes will grow dim. You may not be able to memorize it quite like you used to memorize it, but you can love it with such dearness that you allow it to be meditated on. That's the idea. That's regurgitated, constantly feeding upon it. Certainly the Word of God is there. What's another one? Yes, ma'am. Oh, I've got that one. Yes, Hebrews chapter 13 is one alike. It talks about uh, the praises of our lips. I know that can be done a number of ways. Singing, but it can also be just in a sense of giving God glory. Not just for the good things of life, but even giving Him glory and praise when things in our life aren't going the way which we feel or maybe individuals would deem that would be a positive thing. To me, that latter one is the one that most gives an opportunity to witness. When all around you is going away and you can still thank God, that's an opportunity for the world to look at and say, man, what is the reason of your hope? And the scripture says, let's always be ready to give an answer to every man that asks us of the reason of our hope that's in us. Amen. What's another one? Man, I like that one. The idea of looking for the Lord Jesus. I put in my notes an expanded faith. Second Thessalonians chapter 1 and 3, it was one of the things that Paul said. He said that your faith groweth exceedingly. And that's not only in a sense of doctrinal truths, but also in my knowledge and growth of Jesus Christ, I began to trust Him more. And I began to look for His coming and look for the opportunities that He brings in my life and expanded faith, looking for the Lord Jesus. You think of any others? Yep, Max, I think. Forgiveness towards others. Oh, yeah. I have down like a holy life. 
but that would certainly be part of it. Um, forgiveness allows us to have victory even over bitterness. I was reading an article this week. It was talking about difficulties that will undoubtedly arise in your life and the inability that so many have to get out of that. said that these difficulties, and I'm not just talking about somebody took the last biscuit at dinner and you're still seething about it. I, I'm talking about some grave circumstance happened. And it's almost like it's placed you in a dark room. And you're flailing out and there's a door because the Lord said in me you're more than an overcomer. And forgiveness is God's light switch to be able to turn it on and get to the place where we can trust and glory and sing praises to His name. There's a lot to be said about the opportunity to forgive. It's other ones. Brother Isaac, I'm going to go to you, but apparently this side does not have any. So, <laughs> Brother Isaac. Yeah, I, I think so. I think that's, like, that's the place where the children, children of God are. Uh, I'm going to get to this at some point this week or next. What time do we have? All right, so it'll be next week. But you, you know, in a pagan society, I would feel like not a building, not a building, but the assembling of saints would be a priority in my life in this pagan society. It's where I'd want my children to be. It's where I'd want them to be influenced. Now, I, look, I know there's some crazy people that go to church. Not here, not here. Other, you know, um, they're peculiar in a different way. But the reality is, I want my children to be influenced. I want it to be normal for them to see other people loving God. So, yes. Give me another one. Oh, yes, brother, help me out. Yeah. Loving the word, memorizing it, meditate. Wherewithal, the scripture says, shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed to thy word. And I think some of that heed comes directly by storing the word of truth in our heart. Well, he says in the psalmist that we might not sin against him. What's another one? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, I, I think particularly when I, when I think of compassion, the world has a difficulty under really standing, understanding really what compassion is. Um, in one sense, they're in great need of it, but on the other sense, it's so rarely given. I, I think often the world looks at compassion as it relates to, or love, as it relates to what they can derive from something. So in their minds, they love their wife because of what she does for them. They love their, uh, the wife loves her husband because of what he does. Do you see what I'm saying? And so then it, it becomes something you fall in and out of. But compassion really is a transcending divine type love. Uh, it starts rooted in the truths of God. That's why Jude talks about in some having compassion. He's talking about snatching them out of the fire and the staining ability of false doctrine. That's what the essence there is of Jude 22 and 23. 
so then that compassion is rooted in who God is. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. And some take that out of context, say, well, that means that I need to love the world just like the Christian brethren. That's not it. There's a different distinction there. I think if you want to see love and compassion first blessed as a sense of, uh, of outreach, if you want to call it that, it starts by being within the local assembly. It starts by being rooted and grounded in absolute truth and valuing and prioritizing what God values, which is His truth. Look, it's, it's no love to agree with sin, is it? Even in John chapter 4, the woman there at the well, or later in the gospel account of the woman taken in adultery, show me the verse where he ever agreed with their sin. So in compassion and dealing with a pagan society, it's not acceptance. It's rooted in the truths and priorities of what God has. And that's something of which we all can do, certainly profitable. What's another one? Okay, there was like three hands went up. Do it again. All right, Brother Cavallis and then Brother Cooper. Yes, sir. Stop. You're taking my final closing point. No, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. I've interrupted you now. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Brother Philip. Absolutely. Ms. Artista. Were you going to say what they said? No. Okay. <laughs> you know, all these things are byproducts of a godly life. Let, let me just read my list. I won't comment on all of them. Some of them have already been spoken or so close. But I've got leading folks to Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 15. Praises. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15. And I put this one in here. Nobody mentioned it. Giving. First uh, Corinthians chapter 16, now on the first day of the week, let every one of you lay in store. That's the idea of bringing into the storehouse. Uh, you find again in Romans chapter 15, verse 26 and 28, giving. You know, to me, there's, there's nothing that has to strike with society more. Uh, I was talking to a dear missionary brother once, and he was, we were talking about retirement. And he'd been on the field a number of years. And so he met with a financial advisor. Financial advisor looked at his income. And his outflow and said, man, he said, you're, you're missing 15% of your income. Well, is there a way you can not give to like charitable organizations? You give too much. That's an interesting thing. Now, that was a private conversation had there. But, but the reality is, is that not the opposite of how the world lives and acts and behaves? There, give me, give me, give me. And the saint of God recognizes that all I am, have, and own, or ever will own, I'm going to give an account for. I told you I wouldn't comment. A holy life, uh, Galatians chapter 5, a holy attitude, the indwelling of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, faith, temperance, um, a love for the Word. Oh, here's one, a growth in doctrinal understanding. That's a good word, isn't it? 
I don't want to know the same thing today and the same thing in 10 years, meaning no growth. I don't want to change what I know about the Word of God, but I'm saying I don't want to have been saved and come to church and hold a Bible for 10 years and had no forward advance. I want to grow in truth. I want to grow in doctrinal understanding. In 1 John, he talks about ye young men, ye fathers, ye children. But what moves you up? How do you mature? I'm understanding the Word of God. I remember as a fella, you know, where I didn't know all the kings of Israel. And by the way, I don't have them all memorized in order. If you're wondering today, I don't have them all memorized in order. I don't have all the presidents memorized either of the United States. But I can remember when I didn't know where all the books of the Bible were. Or when I couldn't give you a, a guesstimate of how many chapters were in each book. I couldn't tell you how many words are in each book, but I probably could tell you how many chapters. In fact, when I was in Bible college, that was one of the tests, one of the questions on the test. We had to look at the New Testament, particularly the pastoral epistles and the uh, Pauline epistles, and we had to be able to tell you how many chapters were in each epistle. And so some of that stuck with me. There's a time I didn't know that. There's a time I couldn't have told you where Jerusalem was from Galilee and where Galilee was from Rome and didn't know. There's some times that I couldn't tell you anything about the rapture or tribulation, what happened? Study and growth. And that happens to me, it has to happen to me regularly. And so that's an important work. I can engage in that, even when it's snowing outside. Uh, a love for others, an expanded faith. Uh, all of these in part and parcel bring to the point of, of they show to the world something which the world doesn't know. That's why it's important to maintain, and that's why it's good and profitable to men. Let me close by going back to a passage we invoked just a moment ago, Colossians chapter 1. Paul is speaking to the Colossae's, and they're going through a mess too. They're in a counter, a cultural type conflict, they're under persecution, they're constantly being jeered. And notice what he says in verse number 8, who also declare unto us your love in the Spirit. Speaking of Epaphras. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. He's not going to be able to go there. He doesn't know them. But he said, I've got a good work here. I'm going to pray. He said, to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will. And in all wisdom, spiritual understanding, verse 10, here's that holy life somebody mentioned, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work. And here's one, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power, unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. And we could go on and on. I'm to respond to my purpose, my mission. Maintain good. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us, please write us at P.O. Box 126 541 
Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, 17112. And visit our website at www.svbcpa.org. Until next time.